All right. Well, today I just want to introduce our topic this fall and go through uh, five goals that I have for the class. These are all in your handout. Um, First of all, if you haven't heard, well, you just did hear me pray about it, right? Biblical manhood and womanhood is the topic. It's something that I'm passionate about and really felt led to uh, teach on. We're going to be looking at, at Scripture, of course, with this topic. That's the most important source we can use, right, is the Bible. Uh, We're also going to be using other sources as well. So we'll be looking at a book that was written by John Piper and Wayne Grudem years ago called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. We'll be looking at Masculine Mandate, which the men got a glimpse of last Sunday, uh, written by our own Dr. Phillips. Uh, Susan Hunt has written much on the topic of biblical femininity and and godly womanhood. Shannon and I are actually going to see her a little bit later today, along with my family. She's a godly woman, lives in Atlanta. Uh, She has been really like a spiritual mother to us in many ways and to our children. Uh, The reason I mention her name is because she's written much uh, for kids. If you have kids, I commend her books to you. Uh, If you are a woman, then I commend her women's books to you. Uh, They are strong theologically and sound and also very practical. So we'll be using some of her material as well. Uh, We'll also be using um, some material from R. Kent Hughes and his wife, who have written on disciplines of a godly man and woman. And then finally, there was a course that was developed uh, by Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, which, as you all know, many of you know, is Mark Dever's church. It's a Reformed Baptist church in Washington, D.C. They did a course on biblical manhood and womanhood about three or four years ago. And I called the other day and I said, hey, this material looks great. Can I use some of it if needed? And they said, have at it. That's why it's there. But I'll make reference to that as we come along to it. There are probably going to be other sources I use too, as the Lord leads, but that just kind of provides um, a concise summary of what I anticipate we'll be using for the class. Five goals I have for the class. First of all, of course, we want to be uh, using and doing straightforward teaching from the Word of God on biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, In our current culture of gender confusion and identity crisis and humanistic values, we need to look specifically at Scripture and what does God say about these issues. We'll begin our study by looking at the beginning of Scripture. Uh, In Genesis, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's the only infallible truth that we have. So we have to start there, we have to explain it, and we have to end there when it uh, comes to this particular topic on biblical manhood and womanhood. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know this well, but let's uh, remember it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Secondly, we want to practically apply the information that we have gained from our time together to our everyday lives. We can come here and sit week in and week out and hear it, but let us really pray that the, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, would allow us to apply it. James one twenty two, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Thirdly, we desire to have fellowship together. Yes, that's the purpose in the round tables and the food is to encourage that, but we also want to break out of these walls and have fellowship times together. And so you'll see that uh, periodically throughout the year. That's an important part of what I believe a Sunday school community should be about. Bearing one another's burdens, uh, speaking to one another, 
uh, praying for one another. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Romans 1, uh, Paul discusses the mutual encouragement that we have in our faith that comes from being together. And of course, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. So we need these fellowship times outside of these walls to get to know one another better, and we uh, endeavor to continue to do that this year. Fourth, we desire to have intentional shepherding, intentional shepherding. The ruling elder is one who is to be overseeing the spiritual needs of the flock. And how can we do that if we don't know the flock? So the five of us in this class as ruling elders really want to get to know you and spend time with you. Uh, We're committed to praying for you and helping minister to you. Uh, Certainly, if you are in, uh, you you can come to any of us as elders. You don't have to go directly just to your shepherding elder. But that just provides a good intentional structure for you to have a shepherding elder in place for your family. Uh, If you don't know, let me say this, if you don't know who your shepherding elder is, please see me and I'll let you know. Uh, Fifth, and something that will be new to this community this year, Lord willing, is effective discipleship and mentoring. Let me just read from Titus 2, 1 through 6. But as for you... Teach with what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger women, younger men to be self-controlled. What does this mean? It means the younger need the older. It means younger women need older women to invest in them. It means younger men need older men to invest in them. It's a biblical principle that older men and women, by God's grace and how they're gifted, should be pursuing the younger generation and helping them. The goal is to encourage godly mentoring and discipleship relationships so that younger men and women can be better equipped to lead holy lives. And the older ones that are doing the mentoring can give of their time and godly wisdom to invest in this next generation. So let me say this. If you are younger or even middle age and you would like someone that's older than you to help mentor and disciple you, I'm not going to pass around a clipboard on that, but just see me or text me or email me if you are interested in that particular ministry. Uh, The elders in the class want to gauge the level of interest in that, and then Lord willing, over the next few weeks, uh, we'll be um, trying to identify older men and women that can fulfill that role as mentors for the younger and middle-aged generation. Okay, so... Those are the five goals for the class. Straightforward teaching. Notice I didn't say popular teaching on biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, Practical application, fellowship, intentional shepherding, and Lord willing, uh, effective ministering and discipleship. Let me begin our study on biblical manhood and womanhood by asking a question. If you are walking down Main Street, uh, say by Falls Park, let's just have a picture in mind, and somebody just comes up to you and says, hey, what do you think is a godly man? How would you answer that question? Self-controlled. 
What's that? Self-control. Self control by God. Self-control or controlled by God. Okay. Fruits of the Spirit. Love of the Word. Good. Not love of the world, love of the Word. Yes. There's one letter distinction. Is that right on that? Yeah, that's an important distinction though. Yeah. Others? What about a godly woman? How would you, Kevin? Pursuing holiness, right? What about a godly woman? Same things could be said, right? Anybody else? Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Yes, pretty clear outline. So we're to be exploring this. Now, we live in a day and time where we've always known that we had to know the Bible so we could defend the Bible. But we increasingly now live in a day and a time where we've got to defend what manhood is, right? What's a man? What's a woman? Because culture is at such odds with Scripture on these simple, basic questions. We need to clearly identify the Bible and what God says about gender. Uh, there are many, and I'll say in the broad evangelical church, who have different views. They're mainly due to a liberal and incorrect interpretation of Scripture and really in an effort to appease the culture. But if we don't get these biblical tenets right about godly manhood and womanhood, then our whole idea of gender and even gender roles is going to be skewed. There are many, many issues at stake, and if we don't get it right and seek to live out our roles as men and women in a way that will honor the Lord as outlined in His Word, then the result is men are going to become passive and women are going to become feminists. We risk so much when we don't endorse and live out biblical masculinity and femininity. Now, today I want to cover six important aspects at stake uh, that, uh, as a res- that, will, that will occur as a result of gender or role confusion and abdication. Uh, this is, uh, I took some of this from the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, if you were in the all-adult Sunday school class a month ago, you heard part of this. Uh, if you heard it then, it's worth hearing again as just a kind of an apologetic, let's set the context for the class. Uh, if you didn't hear it, then here it is. First of all, the authority of Scripture is at stake. If we don't clearly understand biblical manhood and womanhood and live it out practically, then the authority of Scripture is at stake. The Bible teaches that not only did God create male and female, but He also created them with equal value, equal value and dignity. However, it is true that men and women have different God-given roles, uh, both in the home and the church. What we see more often than not is the evangelical church is giving into culture, accommodating the culture in order to look more like the world and to bring more people in. We see men that are gladly, unfortunately, this is sad, they're stepping aside, not fulfilling their role as servant leaders, preferring instead to lead passive, selfish, and humanistic lives. The effect, of course, is that we also see women assuming leadership that is only reserved for men. If churches continue to accommodate the culture, then Scripture is going to be watered down. And who's going to be affected by that? Not only us, but our children and our grandchildren. Secondly, that leads me to my next point. Secondly, the health of the family is at stake, if we don't get this right. If men and women don't assume their God-given roles in the home, then the family will not be what God intended. 
You know, it's no coincidence that the first institution Satan attacked was the family, right? In Genesis, what ended up happening? Adam blamed Eve, and then he blamed God for giving him Eve, right? And so Satan still, that same principle is here. Satan still wants to divide families. He wants to divide your family. He wants to divide your marriage. He wants to divide parents from children, children from parents. He wants you. And we saw that in our, in our, lesson, in our whole series on spiritual warfare last year, didn't we? That Satan, as 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The foundation for our families and for our homes must be on the Word of God, which will never change. Now, there's much written on the roles of husbands and wives. We see this in Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, um, also Colossians 3. If we don't have the proper foundation, though, based on the Word of God, our families will crumble and not be able to withstand the attacks of the evil one. We don't want that to happen in our homes, do we? If the family suffers, then future generations will suffer. Let me say this. If your family suffers, if my family suffers, then my grandchildren and great-grandchildren will suffer. We've got to get this right. And we've got to, by God's grace, seek to understand it and live it out in a God-honoring way, seeking to train our sons to be godly and masculine and our daughters to be godly and feminine. We'll dive much into this aspect in the coming weeks. But let me say this. If the family suffers, not only will, will subsequent generations suffer, but the church will also suffer. Which leads me to my third point. The health of the church is at stake. Like the family, the church must also submit to Scripture, right? We get our cues from Scripture, not from culture. Leaders in the broader church today believe that they're doing everyone a favor by appealing to culture, but it's actually backfiring. They're actually hindering the mission and the purpose of the church. And I've seen it more recently, maybe you have too, over the last several years, where uh, the broader evangelical um, kind of mega church movement is declining. And you're actually seeing people that maybe came to saving faith in those places, but they're not being spiritually fed and discipled. And so they're leaving because they're hungry. They're hungry for the Word of God. Okay, now I'm saved, but I'm still getting milk here. I want the actual meat. What do I need to grow in holiness and pursue sanctification? So we're actually seeing people leave those churches. Uh, We need men and women uh, who will joyfully serve in the church. We need men who will gladly and joyfully serve in ordained offices in the church and women who will gladly and joyfully support their husbands in doing so. While women are not called to ordained office biblically, there are many areas that they can and should serve based on their own giftedness, Uh, whether it be teaching or discipling, mentoring, uh, counseling, working in the nursery, vacation Bible school, serving on the women in the church council, uh, serving in the koinonia ministry, serving on other committees. Most, if not all, of our session committees actually have women on them, and it's a good thing. There's many opportunities for women to serve and should serve. A church will be strengthened when men and women fulfill their God-given design 
by serving faithfully in the local church. Well, fourth, our worship is at stake. Increasingly, in the name of gender equality, you, you have this now, God being referred to as mother. The first time I ever heard about this was at a uh, Thanksgiving dinner some 20 years ago. It was my liberal, ordained uh, female cousin who was asked to give Thanksgiving blessing as she prayed to God the mother. That led to some interesting conversation around the Thanksgiving meal table that day. But we hear it now, increasingly more and more. Uh, God has named, though, God has named himself, and we should not seek to change that. Furthermore, in some churches we have women who are preaching, though they are not called to that role. In other churches we have women distributing the elements of communion, something, again, that according to our own book of church order is important to be administered and overseen by the elders of the church. Why would that be? Why is it important for the elders to actually be the ones distributing the elements of communion? Well, the elders are to give spiritual oversight, right, to the church. And so it's important as we are distributing the elements, maybe we see somebody that normally takes communion or we know as an elder or we know as a member of the church, maybe they don't take communion that day or maybe they don't take communion for a couple of months. That should signal us as ruling elders, oh, I wonder if something's going on there that we need to talk to that person about. So in that way, that's why the book of church order is so clear that elders are even to administer the sacraments because we're helping guard the flock and helping minister to their very needs if there are concerns. If we do not take our biblical roles seriously in the life of the church, our worship will eventually suffer because it's not being conducted in accordance with the Word of God. Fifth, Bible translations are at stake. Yes, can you believe it? Over the past two decades, there have actually been uh, versions of Scripture written that are gender neutral. So John 3.16 literally reads, For God so loved the world that God gave God's only child, so that everyone who believes in that child may not perish but have eternal life. So they've, done, they've, they've gone above and beyond themselves to strike out any uh, personal pronouns where we're seeing words like he and him and his and brother and father and son and man. What's happening in that is that in that the name of gender equality, the Bible is being undermined and Scripture is being rewritten when it should not be. When we seek to satisfy the human need for fairness or sameness, we end up distorting the truth and bringing down judgment and confusion. Well, sixth, ultimately, the advance of the gospel is at stake. One author writes, Ephesians 5 calls husbands and wives to relate to one another as a picture of Christ and the church. The picture involves the humble, sacrificial leadership of the husband and the joyful, intelligent submission of the wife to that leadership. Husbands and wives who model this improperly portray a distorted and false picture of Christ, the head and savior of his bride, the church. But the opposite is also true. By God's grace, the husband and wife who model this properly, yes, we're all sinful yet, but by God's grace, try to model it properly, portray an accurate and true picture, a truer picture, we could say, of Christ, the head and savior of his bride, the church. Deviation from biblical teaching on manhood and womanhood hinders the advance 
of the gospel. So we've seen today how important it is we think about gender through the perspective and the lens of Scripture, since it's God who actually created us, male and female. We'll look more at that next week. But we've also seen how important it is that we recover genuine biblical manhood and womanhood. God has a perfect plan for you as a man and for you as a woman. He's designed us with a purpose, with equal standing, but with complementary functions. As with all of Scripture, when we embrace God's ways, we find blessing and peace, but to do otherwise invites misery and death. The world will say you can have it all. A man can be a woman or a woman can be a man, but I personally have never seen things go well in modern history or in biblical history where mankind seeks to change a creation ordinance or a biblical mandate given by the Almighty God. Doesn't go very well. So you may be sitting out there today and thinking, okay, Kevin, I'm really good with my gender. I'm good with my God-given role. What does this really have to do with me? Well, I would say I'm glad, right? Embrace your gender, embrace your God-given role, and live it out. But my answer to that is also this, that the world in which we live is not good with it. And you, you and I are raising children and grandchildren in a world where in just one generation, we can even say just in one decade, look at what's happened, right? Now you have boys going into your daughter's locker rooms. Now you have women who can legally marry each other, men who can legally marry each other. You have same-sex couples who can legally have, through adoption, children of their own. Much has happened. Do we really know the implications of the battle that we fight? Are you ready to defend the truth? Yes, around the Thanksgiving table and around family dinners, but also in the culture. Where are we headed as a society if Christians do nothing? Now, I'm not here to say we have to fight every cultural war. I'm just here to say biblical manhood and womanhood is something that we need to know more about and embrace the truth of it and live it out so that the world sees something different. And by God's grace, they see truth, and they see an example of the gospel being lived through our lives. Well, some of the topics as we go forward within this arena and this topic over this year will be a true vision of biblical complementarity. We're going to be looking at that. Male-female equality and male headship, women in the life and teachings of Jesus, the role of men in the home and the church, the role of women in the home and the church, the valuable ministries of women in the context of male leadership, men and women in the image of God, how biblical manhood and womanhood would work out, should work out in practice. Where's dad? A calling for fathers with the spirit of Elijah and the essence of femininity. Well, Lord willing, we will begin next week with the beginning of scripture. And we'll look at Genesis, specifically looking at God's plan for man, and for woman. Let's close out our time in prayer. God in heaven, we're grateful, Lord, for your word. Father, would you make it alive to us? It's not just words on a page. These are words that you have actually breathed out. They are your very words. And help us, Lord, to learn it. Help us to hide these promises in our heart. Help us to live it out. Uh, Show us, Lord, how to be examples as godly men and godly women, wherever we go, even this week, Lord, help us to learn more about this particular topic 
through the lens of your word as we go forward uh, this semester. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.